0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're talking NFL headlines and upside targets in rounds 11, 12, and 13 on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome to the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at RotoViz, doing a solo episode tonight. Curtis and I were pumped. We were in a draft tonight. Um, we're gonna be doing a live stream of it and recording it for the show, but the timing of that draft actually got bumped, uh, so we will not be able to do a recording of that tonight. Nonetheless, there are a couple of topics that I wanted to talk about. I had the time to pull something together, um, and here we are. Great intro, Dave. Great intro. Uh, So we're going to hit a couple of news items, and then we're going to continue talking about upside targets. But before we do that, we do have a couple of fantasy headlines that we need to get to here. Uh, Some interesting news today with LaVisca Chenault, the one-time extremely hyped wide receiver who can do a little bit of everything, will be going to the Carolina Panthers, leaving the team that drafted him, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, LaVisca was not necessarily slated to be a big part of the Jacksonville offense. As a result, his departure, I don't think, really shifts too many of the dynamics there that much. Uh, It does make Zay Jones a bit more viable of an option if we do see Trevor Lawrence and this Jaguars offense able to function Uh, like an NFL offense now that urban Meyer is no longer there. We'll see what Doug Peterson can do with the team. So I think that from a LaVisca perspective, well, actually first let's just talk about the hole that he leaves. I think with Zay Jones, maybe I move up my best ball share like 1%, maybe one and a half percent. Now that LaVisca is gone um, of course, it's possible that he was going to factor into this offense so little that uh, wouldn't have an impact. But I'm inclined to think had he been there, he still would have had some level of usage. Um, if you look at the depth chart now, I think it's pretty clear to me that you're going to have Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones and Zay Jones accounting for a lot of the target share there among Amongst the wide receivers. Maybe this also allows Evan Ingram. To do a little bit more. uh, But I think these are really just incremental movements. Nothing that really changes things. In relation to LaVisca. I have seen some people. Comment on this move. That this puts him in even worse of a situation. The one thing that I would say to that is. Carolina went out and actively sought him. So sure he's moving into a team that has many more talented options in the receiving game when you consider that they already have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Higgins, a receiver who's played with Mayfield, and then, of course, you have Christian McCaffrey there. But I think that it might count for something in the case of Visca, given that this team actively went out and saw them. Perhaps they will start to put to use the talents of the different things that he can do. From a redraft perspective, this does not really do much for Visca. From a dynasty perspective, it maybe gives him just a little bit of life in being a player that might be interesting to have around on your roster. I would not say that you should go out and make any big moves as a result of this to get Visca. When I say big moves, I mean valuing him much differently than you did when he was in Jacksonville, but it maybe makes him just a little bit more interesting given that the team actively sought him out. Uh, Sony Michelle, released by the Dolphins. I found this one kind of interesting because this was a backfield that was a little bit hard to make use of. And I actually did get uh, Sony Michelle onto a number of best ball teams. Because there was still some ambiguity there. I think there's the potential for Miami to take a step forward. And I was thinking that maybe this would give Sony Michelle the path to some easy touchdowns. We'll have to talk about him more when we know where he lands. But this really does a lot for Raheem Mostert. Now, I believe that Curtis and I over the last couple of weeks have talked about Mostert a lot. He had become a major target for me on my best ball team's saw my exposure to him really increase. And now that we have Sony Michelle out of the equation, sure, you still have Miles Gaskin there, but we definitely, I think, can consider him kind of relegated at this point. And it's looking like it's going to be Edmonds and Mostert really getting a crack at this. I think that this makes Mostert now a player you really have to go and try to target. He would now be on my list of targets of players you aggressively want to go after in drafts, as I am looking at uh, the board here and what we're going to talk about tonight, we are going to talk about Mostert again later. Currently going in FFPC redraft leagues as the RB 56, that needs to move up a lot. And as a result of this, Chase Edmonds, who was going as the RB 27 in round seven. I think could very fairly now move up into round six probably will stay in a somewhat similar positional range, but I think that considering him in round six would be somewhat appropriate given this news and the level of ambiguity that it removes, Uh, which takes us to a less exciting piece of news. Uh, I'm sure you've heard at this point, but rookie running back Brian Robinson for the Washington commanders Uh, was shot twice in an armed robbery. Uh, He was shot in the glute and lower leg. The good news is that he does appear to be doing fine from a health standpoint, is in stable condition, Um, and it doesn't appear at this moment that there's going to be any serious health repercussions for him as a result of this. So that is good news intertwined or the silver lining, I guess. I'm not even sure you would say that here. Some bad news. Uh, but we do have to talk about what this means for the commander's offense now. Um, and I think that Antonio Gibson, who's going back around RB33 now, needs to shoot back up to somewhere around RB20. Now, a lot of the reason that we would have been souring on Gibson was it seemed pretty evident that the commanders were interested in In doing, and they eventually did move Robinson ahead of him on the depth chart. And you also had the element of JD McKissick. But I think that we do need to make a substantial reaction for this when we consider that last year, Antonio Gibson closed the season with one, two, three, four, yeah, five RB1 performances between weeks 10 and 18. With one game missed in there, was an RB1 31% of the time, was number four in ops among running backs, number four in attempts, six in rushing yards, 25 in receiving yards, number nine in total touchdowns, was eight in total PPR, 18 in PPR per game, and 13 in expected points per game. Now, as we look at the commanders this year, Uh, It's reasonable to think that on a per game basis before Robinson returns, and I should say it looks like Robinson could return at this point, it's very hard to know what that might look like when he returns, when it could be. But what I'm driving at here is there should be somewhat of a correction now for Antonio Gibson Uh, because the path to him outplaying this RB 33 valuation where he currently is going in ADP. Looks to be fairly clear if you think that Washington can do something similar to what it did last year. So I'm definitely not going to be trying to reach into the running back dead zone if Gibson fell into that spot now. But if he were to move back into, uh, just to make this a little bit easier to absorb, right now Gibson is going, I guess he was currently going in round eight. So I could see maybe going up into round seven for him um, in certain leagues that you're in, maybe round six is appropriate. Uh, But if we don't see him creep up much more, then he becomes a player that I think is worth drafting at that point as there's a pretty uh, reasonable expectation that you could have of him finishing above that RB 32 spot. And from a JD McKissick perspective, he's currently going as RB 55. Last year finished as RB 31 in points per game. And if this backfield is going to be driven by him and Gibson, then he needs to be going a lot higher. I'm thinking more like RB 36, 37, maybe even closer to RB 30 type of territory. So if you're in drafts and you're still getting that discount, I think going ahead and taking McKissick is definitely something that you'll want to consider. Uh, So those are a couple pieces of news that I just wanted to have a little quick reaction to right here before we get into the heart of today's episode. We're
0: driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: which now we're at the point we've gone up to round 10. We're at the point now where I just want to start focusing purely on upside. If you have not listened to parts one and two of these episodes focused uh, on upside and we had been looking at safety in the way I define it, what I'm talking about here in terms of upside is not just thinking about the absolute best season a player could have. But finding players, or when I'm comparing players, thinking about upside from the perspective of what percentage of their distribution is at these high ends. So maybe a player that can have a number of reasonable outcomes where they get to 260 points on the year, looking like their upside is better than a player who maybe in 1% of scenarios could get up to 300, but you don't think that beyond that one scenario, there's many cases where they get towards that 260 number. You would think that the player with 260 has more upside. With that out of the way, I am going to read through some of the players going in round eleven, and we're at the point in the draft now where things are a little bit murkier. It's hard to really pinpoint specific players that you could really lock in uh, for upside. So you have Jets running back Michael Carter, Cincinnati receiver Tyler Boyd, James Robinson, Garrett Wilson, Alberta Kui Boonham, Romeo Dubs. Russell Gage, Irv Smith, Jahan Dotson, Matthew Stafford, Khalil Herbert, and Tyler Algier. Now, we talked a lot about Algier when he first got drafted by the Falcons early on in the best ball season. I think Curtis and I both had a lot of Algier on our rosters. We've talked about Khalil Herbert a lot. I think, though, the two players that I focus on the most in round 11 here are both rookie wide receivers. Now, you can make the case for dubs given the, you know that relationship with Aaron Rodgers, the comments there, and the fact that he's in an offense that on some level is open for the taking. There's always an allure to receivers playing with Aaron Rodgers. I think you could make a case for it, but really, I would say in my mind, the player that has the most upside here is Garrett Wilson. And the reason for this is that it's very possible he's a great NFL wide receiver. As a result of that, I think I can make more of a compelling case that he's better than the other wide receivers on his team. We saw a great stretch for Elijah Moore last year. I think it's entirely possible that Wilson comes in, asserts himself as a better receiver. And as a result of that gets to put together a pretty compelling rookie campaign and is able to have a stretch similar to what Moore did last year. As we see the jets offense start to improve when Zach Wilson gets back and we have a Wilson to Wilson connection, but We talked about it during the draft season. I was very high on Garrett Wilson. Felt like he was a player that would be able to hit his stride early in the NFL, come in and start contributing. As a result of that, I think that when I'm considering the range of outcomes for him and that distribution of it, I see a fair amount of scenarios for him where he could score fairly well um, compared to some of these other players where things need to break their way. Tyler Boyd, you'd have to be looking at um, an injury. Michael Carter... I know Brees Hall hasn't looked great early on, but I think that he's still likely to be sharing that backfield with Hall, even if Hall isn't as good as we think. A guy like Russell Gage, at this point in Tampa Bay, a lot of things would need to break his way, and we kind of see how we're getting there. At these points in the draft, when I'm looking at these running backs, you need things to happen that are outside of their control. I think that Garrett Wilson doesn't need things to break his way. He just needs to be as good as I think he could be for him to be the pick here. So I like Garrett Wilson as my upside pick in round 11. Round 12, we have Derek Carr, Julio Jones, Mike Kosicki, Hunter Henry, Aaron Rodgers, Michael Gallup, Nico Collins, Isaiah Spiller, Jamal Williams, Joshua Palmer, J.D. McKissick, and Jacoby Myers. The thing that stands out to me here about the running backs is, Is that they're all playing, well, Jamal Williams playing behind a very good running back, Isaiah Spiller playing behind a very good running back. Now, I like Spiller a lot, but I think that him carving out enough of a role where he is able to manage a lot of that upside is unlikely. It also looks like at this point the team could still be interested in Joshua Kelly or Larry Roundtree getting into the mix. So even if Eckler were to miss time, there's no guarantee that Spiller is able to usurp that role entirely. Jamal Williams, I think we've seen enough of at this point to know that this very high ceiling probably isn't there. Uh, And as a result of that, we are left with J.D. McKissick at running back. Um, but I I don't think that there's a compelling reason to imagine there's a tremendous amount of upside. So the wide receiver that I zone in on here is Michael Gallup. Now, Nico Collins, you can maybe make somewhat of a case for, but the reason I would go with Gallup is we have seen what that Cowboys offense could look like. We have also seen that Michael Gallup is a pretty decent player in the nfl and at this point it's looking like he's going to be back at some point before week four as he did not get placed on the pup list now he's been in dallas since 2018 in that time we have seen him produce a couple of very big games he's had a 32 point uh game back towards the end of the season in 2019 did not have a great year last year uh but did put up a couple of big games in 2020 a 30 point game um in that mix and this year if you're looking at the cowboys depth chart obviously you have cd there who's going to do big things but Gallup can be that guy behind him um i still think that he's a talented wide receiver as a result of that he looks to me to be the obvious pick here we start thinking about guys like Jacoby Myers it's hard to make a case with all the other names there that he could have that much upside Palmer obviously is limited by the fact that you have Mike Williams in front of him as well as Keenan Allen Uh, Jalen Guyton could push him at tight end I think Gerald Everett should be pretty involved so he actually here looks to me like the play um hunter henry is also available in this round i think that among tight ends hunter henry might have more upside than some but i don't think that he possesses the same upside like michael gallup where michael gallup is going as wide receiver 58 and hunter henry is going as tight end 16 so when i think about that delta there it's definitely gallup for me now round 13 Another interesting mix of players. You have Kirk Cousins, Jalen Tolbert, Gerald Everett, Isaiah McKenzie, Zemir White, uh, David Njoku, Devonte Parker, excuse me, Tyler Higby, DJ Chark, Raheem Mostert, and Evan Ingram. Probably shouldn't come as a surprise, but at this point, I am going to say that the back would be Raheem Mostert. Um, in comparison to somebody like Zamir White, I think at this point, you have that entrenched starter there in Josh Jacobs. You have Amir Abdullah looking like he's going to get involved in the mix. Whereas Moster, it looks like it's him and Edmonds, and it's possible that Mostert could vie with Edmonds for being the top back there. I would say that in more outcomes than not, we see Edmonds being the lead back. But there are a number of cases where Mostert could push him. As far as Zamir White and Josh Jacobs goes, sure, Zamir White could push him some of the time. But I think that you're very likely to see Abdullah or another back remain involved. That looks like what they want to do. And then in the case of Mostert, we've seen stretches where he shows that he can be extremely explosive and produce some monster games. So that's how I arrive at him as the upside selection in round Thirteen. Does zamir White have some upside? Yeah, but I think he's going to need more things to break his weight to realize it than Raheem Mostert. You could start to think about Isaiah isaiah McKenzie at this point in the draft. You can start to think about a lot of players among the wide receivers, though. I would say that it's him, just as a function of the offense that he's playing in. You could maybe make the same argument for Jalen Tolbert, Devontae Parker. I don't think that's there, uh, especially at this point in his career. Um, and some of the other wide receivers that new England has, uh, and DJ Chark, I don't feel like playing with Jared Goff and that Detroit offense really sets up well for that. So we actually got through more than I was expecting here. Um, you know, there's less that you can dig into, I think for each player to make that case at this point. Uh, so we're working through these a little bit quicker. So let's look at round 14. You have Trevor Lawrence, Eno Benjamin, Justin Tucker, Robert Tunyon, KJ Osborne, Jarvis Landry, Buffalo's defense, Mikul Hardman, Tyrion Davis-Price, Kenny Galladay, Wandale Robinson, and Noah Fant. The two players that would stand out to me first would probably be Eno Benjamin uh, and KJ Osborne. Now, in the case of Eno, that's largely because he's going to be vying for that number two spot as a pass catching back in an offense that looks to have a very high pace that looks like it would be able to utilize him out of the backfield and set up some quality opportunities uh, and not having a competition between him and James Connor for the type of work that's going to translate to fantasy points in that Arizona offense, now KJ Osborne. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I think that you're going to see a slightly different way that the op- uh, that the offense operates this year in Minnesota. Probably passing some more. There is room for a third wide receiver to be utilized alongside Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen's pace. We talked about how it's likely to keep up with touchdowns to some degree, but some of the other things that he might have normally done could shift towards Osborne. It's possible we see the Minnesota Vikings offense be very solid this year. As a result of that, he could be a beneficiary and carry in some upside. I think that with the way targets and the way the offense is going to be concentrated this year in Minnesota, Osborne's a player that I'm interested in taking. Along the season last year, he was actually number 40 in PPR. That's because he was available a lot. 30% of his games, uh, he went over 15 fantasy points. All right, I'm rounding up. He had 14.7 in one week. But in a third of his games last year, he was at 15 points. Um, And I expect him to build upon that this year. So I think that there's certainly some upside there for KJ Osborne. I'm not saying that you would go crazy and draft him ahead of where he is going, but if you're getting him at that ADP, I do believe that there is some upside. Okay, we received uh, a couple of questions. There's one Dynasty-specific question that I'm going to try to have us talk about on the air. seems like this person has at least a couple of days to act upon the advice we might give them, so we're going to wait till Curtis and I can work our way through that together we are going to be drafting uh another team tomorrow night so we will be back to break that down later in the week in the meantime i hope you are crushing your drafts getting ready for the season uh hoping that you're bracing yourself to have a ton of fun this nfl season and we will see you soon